You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 177, Ty Wiss and the Kindness of God. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time listening, uh, I'm glad you're here. This is going to be a great conversation today to share uh, with you. Uh, if you haven't already hopped onto our mailing list, just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. Make sure you get notified every time uh, we send out a new episode usually come out on Monday mornings if I've got my act together. So uh, today I'm excited to have this conversation with uh, with a friend. He's the founder and executive director of Walls Down Ministry. He's Ty Wiss. Ty, welcome to Halfway There. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I am glad to have you here. I've heard a little bit of your story because you've shared it uh, on YouTube, but I can't wait to share it here and hear a little bit more of kind of God, how, how God has worked sure. with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We have just just a small piece about your, the founder of Walls Down, uh, but we'll go more yeah. into your story later. Yeah, sure. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I am married uh, to a woman. I have two amazing boys, um, and they're one and five. Uh, come, their birthdays are coming up, and so I love being the father to to boys. Uh, change has changed my life. Um, been married for 11 years. Uh, I live in Indianapolis, um, and I do counseling kind of on the side and um, counseling at the intersection of faith and sexuality. So that's always interesting. Yep. <laughs> and that's something I really enjoy doing. And then I also do trainings and speaking in groups for Walls Down. So. Right. Okay, great. So uh, I think we, we can go into your story because how you started walls down is really directly related to your story. Right. So yeah, let's, let's yeah, do that. Absolutely. Uh, did you, so you're in Indianapolis now. Did you grow up there? Uh, no, I grew up in Ohio. In okay. the, I say the cornfields of Ohio. Yeah. Uh, out in the middle of nowhere. So my families are farmers and uh-huh. that's where I grew up. I'm from Iowa. So I get that. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My back in the days of AOL, uh, uh, AOL and some messenger, my screen name was trapped in corn. <laughs> Um, so if that tells you how a little bit how I felt about where yep. where I grew up, but uh, it was a nice peaceful place, uh, but it was also a typical small town, right? As well, so right, which has some advantages and some disadvantages. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'll tell you what, though, one thing I think when whenever we drive back to Iowa from Colorado in the summertime, particularly late in the summer, and the corn is high, like you're you're driving driving by all the cornfields. It's just good for my soul. There's something about that. Yeah. If I can get out in rural Iowa somewhere or, and just drive on the two lane roads through the cornfields, yeah. it, it really is peaceful. It really is beautiful. I, I have learned to appreciate it more as <laughs> I have gotten older and appreciated my totally. Christian meditation, things like that, which was not in my twenties. I didn't even have a grid for that. And during that time I was like, get me out of here. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be in these cornfields, but now I'm like, there's actually something really attractive and beautiful about it. Not that I want to live there. <laughs> totally. But, uh, but there's, uh, it is nice to visit. I like to eat it when I get the chance to, that's, that's not bad. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, so growing up in Ohio, small town, Ohio, did you grow up in a Christian family or what was it like there? 
No. So we didn't grow up in a, a Christian family. Um, I, I would say that we believed in Jesus. We believed in God. Uh, I mean, we're Midwesterners, hmm. for crying out loud. So of course we're Christians. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of a rule. Um, and so kind of Christians by default, we had a Bible in our home. Um, but I did not, we did not grow. I did not grow up going to church. Um, I'd been to church with friends, but um, we were, we're not, I wouldn't have considered us a Christian household by any stretch. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, but you did think that you were Christians. For sure. That's, well, I mean, what else would you be? Right. Um, that's true. You know, there was, uh, you know, you kind of default. You know, we knew that the right thing was to go to church, so we weren't opposed to people going to church. And when people, friends of mine, wanted me to come to church with them, my mom and dad were completely fine with that, and would say that's great. Um, and so, yeah, we believe in Jesus too. So, gotcha. So, what more is there? So, so not antagonistic, but not. maybe not uh, on fire. We might say. Yeah, I mean, we weren't living our lives for Jesus. We weren't gotcha. allowing him to inform any part of our lives uh, at, at all. Um, and we were a typical Midwestern family, so we had pretty much whatever we needed. We were very comfortable. Um, we weren't filthy rich, but we weren't dirt poor either. And so we were just like, what else did we need? And so we there wasn't really a need to ask God about our lives. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you find Jesus? Like, what was was that... When, when was that later? Was that much later? Uh, so my parents, um, so, I mean, there were times where I would answer altar calls when I would go to my friend's church, like I would, it, which was really interesting. So I feel like my heart was always responsive to the gospel. I would go down and be prayed for and ask Jesus into my heart. So, um, Oh, that's it, really it, interesting. Very genuinely. Yeah. Very genuinely. Um, uh, but there wasn't really like, I don't know that I knew what that really meant as far as like going forward. And so, um, but when I, so I guess I would maybe back up when I was 12, um, I realized that I was attracted to boys and I was not attracted to girls. And so kind of came to this place where I was like, Oh, and then I heard the word gay. Um, you know, it was used in a lot of different contexts <laughs> at that time. Yep. Right. Um, and then so and mostly I, negative. I, Let's most, almost always. We negative. should point that out. Right. Any positive. Yeah. Never, no positive narratives. Um, and definitely um, sometimes, uh, you know, as a way to put somebody down. Oh yeah. Without, so gay was like a, right. a synonym for stupid or dumb right. or, you know, something like that. Uh, but then I realized that they were actually talking about, um, people and realized that, Oh my gosh, I think I might be one of those people. And, uh, wow. my instinct was to, to look up and say, God, if you're there, it, I don't know that I was thinking like God was mad at me. Um, I wasn't thinking about him disapproving. I just knew that in, in a community sense, that was suicide. Um, and so you, you could not exist as a gay person where I grew up or in, you know, in, in the Midwest. And so I was like, God, if you could take this away, that'd be great. Cause I, you know, the growing up, what I heard about gay people is that they were disgusting and weird and strange and only like only hearing about the caricatures, you know, seeing caricatures of, of gay people on TV and didn't want to be that. And, uh, people were, were always made fun, at least made fun of at best. Right. Um, and so, um, so, so I, I didn't really have a, a good grip on what all that meant for me. Yeah. That's kind of what I was interested in because how, like you just realize being a 12 year old is hard anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, puberty is awful. It's just tough. <laughs> so, yeah. But then discovering and, and feeling like you're same sex attracted and feeling very out of place. What were the emotions that that went along with that? I'm very interested that you reach out to God. You felt like God was there, but you weren't quite, but you kind of wanted him to take that away from you rather than 
embrace yeah, it. Yeah, it was really a, kind of a strange thing to initially do. Um, on my feelings, I was terrified. Uh, I was terrified that this was going to be um, the rest of my life. And what would that mean? And my automatic thought was, well, you'll have to leave. If they don't kick you out, oh. you definitely have to leave. So you might as well just... So from the time that I was, you know, even before puberty, really, I was realizing, like, I'm going to have to leave. So you almost kind of like mental, start mentally, which is really sad. I mean, you start mentally preparing for leaving your family and having to create a life on your own, which is just so, just strange that I was even there. But that's not atypical. It's really actually very common with gay people. Um, wow. So even if they grow up in super loving homes, um, there's like this is always the deal breaker. This has to be the deal breaker. Um, so you grow up with that mentality. So I was really fearful that, um, my community would see me as dangerous and dirty and disgusting because that's how they saw gay people for the most part, not everyone, but most people. Yeah. Um, can I just ask when this was, I'm guessing yeah. this was like nineties. Yeah. I grew, I was born in 85. So okay. yeah, I mean, it would have been mid nineties. Yeah. Um, mid nineties when I is, is kind of where I was. And, um, I had experienced uh, about five or six years of sexual abuse from the time I was nine to about 15. Um, and so that contributed to a whole lot of confusion because there was um, parts of it that I liked and parts of it that I didn't like. And, um, and then so to add attraction to boys on top of that was felt like, oh, well, this is why that has happened. It's because you're gay. And that person knew it. Mm. That person knew you were gay, so I didn't. I wasn't able to to, te- to tease out um, the difference between abuse and then my orientation. Yeah, um, not that those things are completely separate, but they are like they're very distinct things. So, right, yeah. So I was wondering that, um, like, how do you, do you connect them at all, or do you feel like because I've heard that you you hear that sometimes, sure. yeah. And so one of my goals, uh, if I hadn't I hadn't said this yet, but one of my goals with this conversation is I, I want to hear from you just your, like your, yeah. your whole story. Cause I want uh, those of us who are listening, who maybe don't have a same sex attracted friend or yeah. uh, have a very political view of it um, to hear a real story. So yeah. take us into that. Like what, that's yeah. the one of the well, things I, that they say. I, I appreciate that because usually when I'm interviewed, uh, whether it's, on one side of the aisle or the other people are wanting a certain answer. Yeah. Uh, they either I, want my orientation to be because of the abuse or not related at all. And, and to say, um, that sexual abuse didn't affect my sexuality. Well, of course it did. It wrecked my world. It wrecked my identity, you know, wow, yeah. um, wow. you know, wrecked my sense of what it means to feel pleasure and call it good. And so, um, so, so all of that is absolutely linked, but to say that, um, I'm attracted to men today. Um, and that has been my consistent, persistent orientation uh, since I was 12. Because I was abused, I would say it would be false. Um, I don't think there's a recipe to make a gay person. I've met plenty of straight men that were abused by bo- older boys or men, yeah. older men, um, that their sexuality is erect for sure, but they're very much attracted to women and not attracted to men at all. So um, I just don't, there's not a consistent, um, recipe <laughs> and i know that in this world we want things to be black and white and i just haven't found that that's the case so i just um right i give it some weight but i don't give it all the weight um and i have to be okay with a really a lot of not knowing yeah yeah which i think is is both an honest and realistic 
perspective. Yeah. Right. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, the other thing that you said that really, uh, catches caught me is, you know, that messed up your view of what pleasure is. Cause there were some things you liked and some things you didn't in the middle of abuse. Yeah. And you never hear people yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a thing. Right? It was the most, it was the most powerful part of my healing was being able to, to ab- actually name the fact that there were parts of that that did feel good because my body was made for right. But God made my body in a way to experience sexual pleasure and whether that was done in a right way or a wrong way, wow. it didn't matter. My body still felt pleasure. And so to be able to say like, yeah, I felt pleasure. And that, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. It, it, but it was in the wrong context. It, was, it wasn't with the right person. Right. Uh, it wasn't at the right age. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, to be able to say those things was really freeing because most victims of abuse will say, um, what is wrong with me that I liked, that there were parts of me that liked that. Right. That I, well, I didn't run screaming from the room. Right. So, so I must have chosen that. You know what I mean? And so the, the, the evil behind that, that thinking is so insidious and causes us to stay in shame. And, the, right. And there's it wasn't a, until years later that I was able to work through that. Yeah. A lot of shame, a lot of guilt mm-hmm. hanging around those experiences. Sure. And so uh, I appreciate you saying that. That uh, it really is, is, I think it's, like you said, not uh, an uncommon experience. And so something that we, yeah definitely need to speak up. So where in all of that part, your family wasn't really religious, but you seem to believe in the Lord in some way mm-hmm. when you're yeah. throughout that season of abuse and, and where was God for you? Were you just, Oh, um, I would, I would not have said he's anywhere. I mean, he's up in the sky watching us and is mostly mad. <laughs> um, he's mostly mad at us. You know, my, my yeah. understanding of the gospel was that we were so bad that God had to die. And so, um, yeah. And that's so not really present. Yeah, certainly not present. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I had learned to think about like, if you want to do, I was very, a very motivated, um, human being to do even at a young age to get what I wanted. And so, um, I never thought about God looking out for me or, mm. you know, I think that that's what abuse, abuse does. I mean, it kind of sets the stage for, well, no one maybe is looking out for me. and. Um, and this world is, yeah, this world's pretty difficult and I need to figure this out, you know, and then you add orientation on top of that or just confusing sexual experiences. And it's like, this has to all be dealt with internally on my own. Right. Uh, eventually the abuse stops. What happens then? And then how do you, how do you go from yeah. there? Yeah. Well, the short version is, uh, kind of realize, kind of coming to terms with my sexuality and saying, Oh my gosh, I know this is true of me. I'm, I'm gay. I tried to date uh, a couple of girls in high school and it just, that was clearly not going to work. <laughs> so yeah. there was just nothing there for me. And, um, and so at 17, I came out, uh, to my friends and family and, um, which that is how, that's when Jesus kind of came on the scene, at least in our, in our human, you know, like as if that's when we realized he came on the scene. I think he was always there, but, oh. um, what, what does that I, mean? Tell me, tell me that story. Cause that's, yeah, we, we got time. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, my, uh, I came out, I tell people I came out on Thursday and my parents went to church on Sunday and they got saved. <laughs> they got saved that day. And so okay. uh, nothing makes you realize uh, your need for Jesus and the lack and your lack of being able to control things like having a gay son, apparently. And so, um, so yeah, my parents became Christians uh, when I came out and I was, uh, I wasn't opposed to them becoming Christians. I thought everybody should be a Christian. Uh, oh, wow. But I wasn't. 
Um, but it quickly turned to we're Christians and now you need to not be gay. And so, and this is what our family's doing. And so, and now, and then it be kind of came this thing over like, if God, if you want to be okay with God, now you can't be gay. And I was like, well, I've just spent the last five to six years trying to not be gay. Yeah. Um, so like, there's nothing I can do about that. And, um, so there's a lot of hopelessness and a lot of suicidality. Can we talk about identity for a second? Sure. Because what does that do to your identity to spend so many years trying not to be something that you already know you are? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, um, I, I heard somebody say one time that, that shame, oh gosh, how did they put it? Um, the thing we've been shamed for the most often, um, I'm totally butchering this quote. We often take on the identity of the thing we've been shamed for the most. Um, and, and so when I walk in the room, I mean, people would in high school every now and then, I mean, not continually, but would ask me you know, like, hi, are you gay? Like you seem kind of gay. <laughs> oh, wow. So I very much met, met the stereotype for that. And I felt like that was always amplified in my mind. So to, to know that I was walking into a room and people would ask that. I'm like, man, there's something that I'm doing that people are seeing of me that I'm just sitting down and eating my lunch at the lunch table. And people are saying, you seem gay. I'm like, man, what am I doing? So yeah. like, when people look at me, they see a gay person. And that absolutely transforms how you think about yourself. Because you're in your mind's eye, how do you understand that people see you? Well, they understand me mm -hmm. primarily as a gay person because I'm not even doing anything. And they think I'm gay. So, and then I already had those feelings. And of course I was already wrestling with that. And so it just, that became a primary identity um, yeah. in a way that I saw myself. All of my giftings and talents and abilities, all the things I was interested in that had nothing to do with sexuality all became part of that because uh, I fit the stereotype so well. So like, like I, what? Uh, the fact that I didn't like football and I wasn't good at it, but I was good at tumbling and gymnastics. I was really excellent at that, um, that I wanted to play volleyball, that I liked cats and not dogs, that I liked uh, this type of music, but I didn't like uh, 80s power ballads. Um, <laughs> man, those are the best. Have you heard my theme music, man? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, all of those things that men stereotypically are felt like I was not that. Yeah. yeah. I have another um, grid for that. And so everything in my mind, in my teenage mind became about, Oh, it's because you're gay. Yeah. Oh, this is what makes you different because, you know, so everything kind of fell under this big banner of, of a gay person, gay man. Okay. Yeah. So your identity just gets really wrapped up in that. But, yeah. But then for, yeah, for me, it did. Yeah. For me, it did. Well, I think for anybody it would, right? Like just, if that's yeah. what you're hearing, that's what you're thinking about. That's where you are. And then at the same time, trying not to be, I think that's got to be a little bit, um, uh, soul, soul splitting yeah. is the way I want to, right? Like just this whole kind of Absolutely. Ugh, feeling of no. Um, yeah. Well, some, you know, sexuality and the things that the longings and passions that we experience, which just as human beings, um, say, I mean, it, they're so intrinsically part of who we are. Um, and not that we need to take on the identity of our emotions or just what we feel by any stretch. But uh, when you feel something that deeply and it feels like it's something so hardwired and that you could fight it tooth and toenail and try to get rid of it. And it only seems to amplify. Um, yeah. I mean, splitting off a piece of who you are is sometimes the only option to yeah. make it to survive emotionally. So Right. So I wanted to talk about that because I think it's relevant to us, even 
Yeah, certainly in the sexuality conversation, but even f- there are a lot of people, I think we've been told as Christians, as evangelicals, that you have to be something you're not, regardless of whether it's gifting, whether it's gender. A lot of, a lot of times, you know, some, some places don't want you to be a woman, right? Because or whatever, you have to be these roles. And I've been wrestling with that um, in various ways in my life. And I think there's a message there about how painful and, and hurtful that that is. Uh, for people, what, what, whatever the issue is, right? Whatever the yeah. thing that you're wrestling with, it's important to actually be honest about who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so much of that was because everything was tied to being gay and apparently being gay was the worst right. thing that you could be as a Midwestern male. Right. It was like, man, it's not just my sexuality or my my attractions. All of me is wrong. Yeah. Which I just think is such a, like, what a powerful lie that is, is that everything that makes me come alive inside my giftings and talents and abilities, the thing that God put the things that God has put in me uh, to say, this is how you image me. Well, is tied under gay mm. and gay is awful, not just not acceptable, horrifically awful. Right. Um, so then it's like everything in me, in me needs to change or it's not acceptable unless I embrace my orientation, unless I embrace my sexuality, unless I embrace these things, then I can, I could never be truly inwardly free. Yeah. So you finally decide, okay, I'm, I'm coming out. I'm gonna, gonna do this. Yeah. And then you embrace a life, a lifestyle, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to me, gay people lived in cities. Um, they didn't exist anywhere else. They certainly <laughs> didn't exist in cornfields. <laughs> so there are um, no gay people in cornfields. There are no, yeah, That's funny. I was me, me and one other person who was a lesbian, uh, in our high school, we were, we were the gay community and our plans <laughs> were to escape to Columbus, Ohio, to the, to the city. So to me, I needed to get to the city and, um, and live out, uh, what that meant. Um, I knew that, um, I'd been on, uh, you know, in gay chat rooms uh, growing up. That's kind of when the internet kind of boomed. Uh, a lot more personal computers and things like that. So there was no filters, no internet oversight or anything like that. So I was, I knew that gay people lived in cities and they go to clubs and bars and parties, and this is where the gay people live. And I was like, if I could just get there, then I could, I could be free. Um, and I know that's not the the life that every gay person lives, but it, it in my mind, and sure. that's the life that I kind of that I. Um, I gravitated to and felt right. comfortable in. So. And you just got out of high school. So what did you know? Right. 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 Yeah. The world's <laughs> still very small. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so did you go to Columbus? Is that where you went? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I found a friend group in Columbus and then, uh, started dating, dating, uh, men, uh, there in Columbus, Ohio. And they, um, kind of took me under their wing and showed me, uh, where people like me, people like us went. Uh, to the bars and restaurants and clubs that uh, were acceptable for us and where we could be safe. So I uh, kind of got a, uh, baptized in the gay community in that way. Yeah. It sounds like you found a community. So like a, a group of people who accepted you, which that must've felt like a hundred percent different. Oh, it's huge. I mean, to always feel like I had some type of social handicap um, lurking with inside me and then to come out and realize that, that social handicap was true um, to be rejected by, you know, by most people when I came out and then to walk into a, a room full of men who are like me, my handicap went away. The shame went away. The, and you know, and I actually felt mm. like, wow, I actually don't hate being male. I actually enjoy being male Yeah. here. That was a powerful shift. I mean, I, I had, I was able to live one life rather than two. Um, and so uh, to me coming out was a very freeing experience. It wasn't this, um, 
people always talk, you know, in Christian circles, people talk about coming out as if it's this dark thing um, led by Satan himself. <laughs> you know? right. And for me, I was like, wow, this Satan, <laughs> if this is Satan, this no. really seems to be set, setting my heart free. Wow. Um, so, and I don't think that, but. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I find it strange that honesty is something that evangelicals tend not to appreciate. <laughs> like, you know, right. you see this, I think yeah. also with uh, the recent people, um, I'm thinking of Joshua Harris and the guy from Hillsong who come out and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not even sure I believe anymore. I'd rather you be honest about that than you not be honest about that. Right. I'd yeah. rather know. A faith crisis. Yeah. yeah. A faith crisis is common. Right. Um, it is. So, yeah. Like, you know, like, well, you know, and, and maybe people have a lot of ideas about, about all that, but, but to say like, I'm doubting whether this is actually true. Like who doesn't, who right. isn't there? Right. Or well, it hasn't been there at some point. Right. So it's, it's freeing, but I, it's just yeah. interesting to me that sometimes we don't. So it doesn't surprise me that that was your experience. Oh, I'm not having to be burdened and restricted anymore. And it's yeah. a good thing. What was that? T- tell us about that. What would, what would somebody, so you went for like the party kind of, kind of life. Cause that's what you thought it was about. But what yeah. was, what would somebody uh, maybe who doesn't have those kinds of experience um, not know that might be inter- not interesting, but just valuable for us to know about your um, lifestyle then? Um, you, you mean about specifically walking into like mainstream gay community? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my experience, and I, this probably won't be very popular, but I, I feel like this was true. I mean, I, so the, the men that I was around and it was mainly men. So like LGBT community was not like we hung out with trans people. We didn't hang out with lesbian people. I was like gay. We, I was main, mainly hanging out with gay men. Um, and, and so walking into that community, there was two feelings. One, uh, wow, there are people like me that exist. And these people give me permission to be me. Mm. Super powerful. Loved it. Friends were awesome. Boyfriend was awesome. And at the same time, also felt like the same things that were plaguing me were also plaguing them. And so it, in some ways, I won't say that it seemed like an, an unhealthy community. It just seemed like a lot of hurting people. Um, and so, um, yeah, it just seemed like a, a like a, very much a hurting uh, there was a, a lot of men who were, had very much been hurt growing up and were filling those wounds with one another. Mm. Uh, now that's not every gay person. So I'm not making these, these large brush strokes, but I, I, there was this sense of like, man, the same brokenness that drives me to um, want to be with a man seems to be driving yeah. many of my friends as well. Well, right. So what that, what I'm hearing in that is, uh, oftentimes shared experiences bring us together, right? And so, Without question. Yeah. And so having uh, shared trauma, shared, yeah. shared rejection. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So that totally makes sense. That was, that's not surprising. That's very human. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but yeah, so there is very much a healing element of the gay community because community heals people. Yeah. Um, you know, doctrine doesn't heal people. Community <laughs> heals people. And, and whether that is a, a doctrine based on Christ or a doctrine based on cultural cultural norms community is something that's much more intrinsic than doctrine um and so i think that's a lesson that the church can learn really uh, is that um you giving me verses doesn't heal my soul you wrapping your arms around me and loving me that'll heal my soul yeah absolutely much quicker right absolutely okay so take us into that because uh i'm not exactly sure how the what the timeline looks like for you because but i know eventually you find christ yeah so tell Um, take us Catch us up and tell us that story. 
Yeah. So, I mean, being involved in the gay community was very freeing. I went to pride parades and gay rallies and, um, you know, just started dating my boyfriend and uh, really felt like, man, this is what I was wanting. And then at the end of the day, I would say that my heart was also really empty. And I thought that I was a super self-aware 19-year-old, uh, but I was aware enough to know that my boyfriend seems, for a human, seems to be perfect for me. Um, my friends are amazing, and I enjoy them so much. And yet my, there is something going on in my soul that seems out of, um, that seems empty. And I can't, and this obviously isn't, it's not the people in my life. It's not their fault. And so, um, so I began to feel this aching sense of just emptiness, uh, that I think is very human. Yeah. Um, when, when we don't have Jesus. And so, um, uh, on, I, I went to college, uh, during my freshman year of, um, my freshman year at Ohio university and I was interested in Jesus. Um, but I, the, the worlds of LGBTQ and the world of Christianity were polar opposites and you could not combine the two. And I didn't know how to get rid of my interest in Jesus. And I didn't know how to get rid of my orientation. And so, um, so I, what I tell people is I, I was a, an openly gay man and a closeted Christian, um, mm. or an interested seeker. And so I would tuck my Bible underneath my arm, uh, Tuesday nights for Bible study. And I would go to crew Bible study without any of my friends knowing, um, because I was like, I'm, I'm interested in Jesus and, and I have a right to, I have a right to get to know him. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. there's just something about it that I was like, I'm going to get to know him. <laughs> and so, uh, so I didn't tell any of the people in my Bible study about it, but, uh, there was a, period of seeking there. Um, and then long story short is that I ended up breaking up with my boyfriend because he, uh, was not, um, he couldn't be my everything and I was aware of it. So in my mind, I need to move on to the next person. If you're not meeting my needs then I need to move on to the next person. Um, and so I did, um, after getting out of that relationship, I, I, I think in, in my heart, I felt frantic. Mm. Um, like I needed to keep finding another person. Um, and so sexual abuse had really set me up to, to only know how to be, to connect with men sexually. Um, I don't think that causes me to be gay, but I think it, it certainly affected. And that's where I would think those things kind of overlap, um, sexual abuse and orientation Yeah, is that my, is that sexual abuse really, um, set me up to only know how to connect with men through sex. And, um, and that was happening more off, more and more often with less commitment. Um, and I didn't like that piece of me. Um, I didn't mind being gay, but I didn't like that. I treated myself so cheap. Um, mm. and, and that really led me to a place where I was like, I was ready to surrender some things, but I had had an experience with God. Um, I went to, I woke up next to, uh, next to a man, uh, one morning. Um, and, and I was like, you know what? Um, I'm going to go to church. So I drove an hour to my parents' church, um, which was interesting. I, I mean, like, why would I go to this church? Yeah. Why would I drive an hour? And after clubbing all night and after um, wearing my clothes that were too tight, uh, they were certain they were great for club clothes. They were not appropriate for church. And, <laughs> and so, so, why, so why I thought I should drive an hour to a small town church is beyond me. But um, I went there, felt welcomed enough to stay, and the Holy Spirit was all over my heart that morning in a way that I had never experienced, was not expecting to experience and didn't have a grid for, um, knowing that he was the creator of the universe. And I was having really random sex. Uh, I was, did not feel like a prime candidate for the love of God that morning. And yet Jesus made it a point to overwhelm my soul with goodness and kindness. And that changed me forever. 
Wow. I did not feel like a prime candidate for the love of God that morning. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, well, so there was like this, I was told that God sends gay people to hell. So in my mind, like God was against people. God's against people like me from the start. Like before you get to run your race, you're disqualified. Somebody has thrown the flag and you're disqualified. And so it was almost kind of like, so I, there was, I had a beef with God and yet I was attracted to drawn to him. Um, and so I'm fighting the love of God that morning because I feel like he's, he's wanting to wrestle me into, um, wrestle me into submission. And yet all I keep feeling is this wooing, a gentle hurry, uh, a gentle hurricane, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, take us in, on. take us into it. Like what was the actual experience? Like describe it all for us. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if people have had, uh, I don't you know. I mean, I think people experience God in different ways, but sure. the only way that I know how to experience or the, to put words to what I experienced is I just felt like my soul, my heart, the, my inner world was being drawn up to where I was just like, man, I feel like this is a place where I'm being drawn into and this feels good and right. And, and I don't know what to do with it. God, you, you seem too kind. Is this a setup? Are you setting mm. me up to, you know, and, but I couldn't help. It was just something in me that wanted to lift my hands and just say, okay, you can have it all. And I feel like that's the, that's the human experience of God coming into a soul that we yeah. want to surrender to him because we want to surrender to goodness and give our lives over to something good and pure. And, um, and God, kind of took me on that roller coaster that morning and I left not saying, Oh, I'm definitely a Christian or I didn't. And I didn't leave saying, Oh, I'm giving up my sexuality or I'm surrendering that piece of my life to him. I, I left saying you are way better than I thought you were crap. What do I do with that? Wow. So that, I mean, and it just shook my, I didn't have a container for that type of, uh, that type of a God. And so that really broke down all of my walls so that when I woke up next, the next man that I woke up to, that was completely random that, um, that I believe had drugged me the night before. And, um, oh, man, I really, I mean, that's, that's where my life was at that point. Um, outside of the relationship with my boyfriend, when that ended, uh, the, my inner world was frantic enough to, um, to, and I didn't know how to recognize danger. Um, Sexual, yeah. I mean, abuse taught me that like, that's not dangerous. That's normal. And so, uh, to find myself being drugged and then, um, um, uh, taking advantage of yeah. waking up next to someone that I had no idea who they were. I was like, I re- my instinct was God is really good. And if he liked me that morning, he's going to like me this morning. Wow. And so I want to know that I like, I've got to have that peace that I felt on that Sunday morning because obviously my inner world is a complete wreck. Um, and that allowed me to say, okay, if you want, if you want a train wreck of a sexuality for me, um, you can have that. Um, it's eating my lunch every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I didn't, I wasn't declaring I was straight. I wasn't declaring anything. I was just saying, I want to follow Jesus. And I believe that you're good. And I believe that you're worthy of my surrender. Yeah. Which is awesome. I love that the Lord did that with you, that he's, that he was so kind to just show you, Hey, yeah. I love you. It's not about that stuff. It's yeah. about you. What's interesting is there was there were no threats of hell. Do this, or I'm sending you away forever. There, were, there was literally mm-hmm. like God never hung over my head eternal punishment or eternal or eternity with Him as if that was the supposed to be the primary re- reward yeah. or punishment. Right. Um, it was like my life with me is good, mm. and I'll be kind. I'll be relentlessly kind to you. 
and let me prove that to you today. You know, like it was yeah. just so. I mean, we're we're often trying to scare people, especially LGBT people, into and scaring them into the church or into surrender. And I'm like, God never did that with me. Well, <clears throat> well, we're trying to scare them into a behavior change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often say you can't preach the gospel of no condemnation with condemnation. It just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. If yeah. that if that's what we believe, then that's how it is. And so we have to embrace that and be okay with it. For sure. Yeah. And we have to trust that God will do that in his timing and that kindness actually works, but we don't really believe it. Shame shame works much faster. Um yeah. than, than kindness. Yeah, it'll bring you down front to make me the preacher look good, right? So for sure. That's yeah. uh I, that sometimes <laughs> I think is what we're after instead of uh, real, true, deep, and meaningful change, uh, which which God does, which I think is uh, really evident in your story. God, um, God was after you clearly from the time you were a child, right? He he wanted yeah. to he wanted to know you, and you were curious about him. And uh, but but it takes you know sometimes his that that moment for him to come with his kindness to to yeah. really do that. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes we have to run a little bit and see, mm-hmm. right. Until we, until we yeah. run right into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's what I, that's what I felt like happened. I mean, I felt like he was very consistently present with me looking back. I know he was very consistently present with mm-hmm. me in the gay bars and the gay restaurants uh, with my friends. Um, and, and I'm just like, man, you, Jesus. I mean, when I, then I started to read the gospels and I was like, Oh, yeah, that's actually pretty typical of you yeah. to be in places like that. Those are the people he hung out with. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the ones he had kinds word for, which is uh, always beautiful. If you do a little imaginative prayer, friends, in uh, I mean, you could do you could do John eight, you can do even um, John four, the woman at the well. Do that's do an imaginative prayer with that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Jesus is just so kind with her. We you, you have to listen to him. Listen for the kindness. Don't listen for the the critique, but. Uh, okay, so that so you find Jesus and you find yourself going, oh, okay. What happens? Like, what, what, where do you go from there? Yeah, well, I mean, after I Googled how to not be gay, uh, because Google had just come <laughs> out, and so, and there wasn't really anything that was helpful. Oh. Um, I was just like, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to follow you, and you, I guess you'll lead me where so, you want me to be. And I so, never felt like he was asking me to to be straight. So yeah. So your assumption was, was if I'm gonna follow Jesus, I have to not be gay. Yeah, I mean that was really kind of the. I mean, I I knew that my sexuality. I, I know I knew having random sex was not, um, or or giving myself away easily. Um, I would say that was maybe more of the hallmark of my life was that I it, it would not take very much coaxing for me to, um, to be with someone, and so, um, so I knew that that wasn't going to be good, and I knew that that so so whether God didn't want me to be gay, I wasn't. I, I just wasn't sure how that would work, but I felt like surrendering sexuality and not dating men or women was kind of a safe bet. And mm, okay. at least saying like, you know what, um, you get, you'll get to speak to me here. Um, and so, and I felt like he did. I felt like he kind of showed, and I felt like I could for the first time hear, um, that, that sexual, the, the, the traditional sexual ethic of one man and one woman for one lifetime was not offensive. It wasn't aimed at me like a weapon. Mm. It was actually, I felt like I was saying, this is how I set it up for your good. Yeah. Like you're not just the unlucky recipient of my sexual ethic. This is, this is for your good and for it to bless your soul and for your heart to thrive. And I believe that because I knew my heart wasn't thriving when I did what I wanted to do, which is really, I mean, that's the gospel for, yeah. for every human. Absolutely. So 
That's interesting. So it was based on your experience. You're like, I was living this mm-hmm. life and I wasn't, I wasn't okay. Uh, yeah. emotionally. And so God's inviting you into something new and you were open to it because you had had the other experience. Yeah. And so I would say like none of the scriptures on homosexuality or same sex sex were ever really spoke to me. They, those mm-hmm. were, that really wasn't even in my, uh, what was helping me make that decision. Um, um, I just never, like none of those verses really ever helped me to navigate that. Um, I felt like there was an inward conviction to say, this isn't what I have for you. Yeah. Please trust me with that. And I was like, okay. You know, and I felt like that's reasonable. You're good to me. Um, mm. And I don't understand all that, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that because I think that's just so beautiful. I guess maybe we have in your in your story already, but the mm. the whole idea of um, you know, God being good, the kindness of God and how that causes repentance. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I mean... Um, so, I mean, I was really just kind of going based on the fact that God was, God is very ridiculously, overwhelmingly kind, um, and that I don't have to have all this figured out. And now I could, I could just hear things differently. I could read scripture differently, um, in a way that I felt like God was on my side rather than trying to twist my arm into getting me to obey. And so that really freed me up to just walk with him without pressure. I never yeah. felt like he was asking me to try to be straight because I was mm-hmm. very adamantly opposed to being straight. Um, because that felt like, it, it felt like you were he was asked, it would have been asking me to get rid of all my gifts and all the things that I really enjoy because everything was under that label. And so, um, but I felt like he was just saying, just walk with me. Um, whether you use that label or not use that label, whether you, um, wherever you're at, like, I want you to walk with me. And so that was, that was freeing. Um, and I I actually got into a, um, it's actually, it was called a discipleship school. Um, but basically we traveled and did ministry together. Um, as for just young 20 somethings, and um, it was a group of people who were very passionate about experiencing intimacy with God. Um, and so I really missed a lot of the Sunday morning church mess um, mm. that goes on in most churches. Um, I felt like I was just kind of thrown into being dis- like being intensely discipled by people who knew what it meant to be to yield their heart to God and experience fulfillment there. Mm. And while God was not on tap and on an on demand presence, um, or at least felt presence. Um, I did feel the um, the infilling of his spirit more in a way that satisfied my soul in a way that sex with a man or relationship or romance with a man could not. Um, and I felt like that was being juxtaposed continually. It was just like, Hey, you know, I, I get it. I felt like God was saying, you know, I get it. Um, you have had many lovers and the way that you have known to get your soul needs met was through a man and your boyfriend gave you peace temporarily and he gave you joy temporarily and he made you feel good about you temporarily. Um, and I just felt like I was saying, I want to do all those things for you. I don't want you to crucify those things. I want to meet those things for you. Yeah. Wow. And that was powerful. I, you know, like it wasn't white knuckling things. It was actually yielding to something bigger and better. Mm, I love that. Okay. So you're, so you're in this discipleship group and you're, you're growing. Um, and eventually, because you started off and you told us that you're married to a woman. So tell us, yeah. like, that seems like a, like a, I'm sure that was a, a journey. Yeah, it was kind of a curveball. Um, <laughs> that you me. weren't expecting. <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, if it sounds like a curveball, just listening to, to the podcast, I mean, imagine what it was like to live that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it was actually during this uh, discipleship program after the first year, uh, a part of our, our uh, training for this discipleship program was to go to a, a youth camp. And the woman that I met there, uh, she was a, also a counselor at a youth 
camp and we were just kind of youth camp leaders and whatnot. And, um, she made it a point to come up to me and want to hear my story. Somebody had told her like, Hey, he has a really amazing story. And I think they'd probably given her context for what it was about. So I don't think she was completely surprised, but she was very interested. She was kind of giving me that, that look like I want to, I'm interested in you. And I was like, Oh Lord, um, <laughs> this girl's barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> she, she has no idea what's about to, about to come out of my mouth. And so I told her that uh, uh, my testimony, I told her my story and I just said, I'm attracted to men. I'm not attracted to women. Um, and that was apparently strangely not enough to derail uh, my <laughs> wife's pursuit. Um, I don't know if she just saw that as a challenge <laughs> or, uh, or what, but she uh, was like, that's, you know, wow, that's amazing. I see that you love Jesus. Can I have your number? And, um, and so I was like, Oh gosh, uh, that was not how I expected this to go. Um, but when I prayed about it, cause I mean, I, I wasn't close to the idea of getting married. Um, which was strange. I don't know why I felt like that was an option because I was not attracted to women. I had never met a woman that I was attracted to um, romantically and sexually. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, and so I, I kind of went into the prayer closet as I had learned to do. And I was just like, God, if you, if this is something you have for me, I know it's going to be good because it's coming from you. Cause you're a good dad. Um, but please don't let me ruin my life. Please don't let me ruin hers. I'm just trying to get it back on track with you. And I felt like he was giving me the green light to say, this is what I have for you. Will you trust me? And, um, and she, she was aware of that. So she was aware from, of that from day one. And I said, I could not promise anything. I couldn't promise attraction to her, which is basically what you want your future husband. To right. Say. I don't know if I'll ever be attracted to you. <laughs> so, um, you're wonderful and beautiful and you love Jesus. And I'm sure Ian, you're quite a catch. Um, uh, but, uh, this man doesn't know if he'll ever be attracted to you and love you like that. Well, yeah. you were honest with her. I mean, that's like, what yeah. else can you well, ask I learned for? That honesty is best. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So I was never going to go back in the closet. I said, I told myself and I told Jesus, I do. That's hell for me. And, um, and so we, we just learned to, to, we just started this relationship. Um, and, got to know one another. And I often say, you know, it's amazing how much you get to know someone when you're not having sex with them. <laughs> you know, when, when you actually have to get to know them and look into their eyes and ask them questions about what their hearts are like and what their hearts about. And, um, and you can't just cover over things with sex. You can't hotwire intimacy with sex. And, and, uh, I got to know her and there was something about her that I felt like my heart started to open up and I felt like, man, I really would love to be her husband. There's something about her that I want to give. I want to give my heart to her and I want to give my body to her not for my sake, but as a gift to her. And I never thought about my body that way. I never thought about sex that way. Um, it felt like I really want her to know me. I want to share this with her in a way that I'd, I've never shared it with anyone else. And that seemed strangely biblical, but not typical in, in our culture. Um, and uh, so we got to know one another. My heart opened up to be attracted to her. Um, after more than a year, I would say it was more than a year of us consistent pretty consistently dating and i was just kind of along for the ride she was along for the ride and we were trusting that god would do what he wanted to do if this is who he had for us and we were both convinced of that so um uh two years later we got married um yeah yeah two years later we got married and uh we uh by that time i was attracted to her so um yeah and i felt like 
our relationship looks, I would say it looks, it's the same and different as many relationships. There's, there's a, there's an intimacy that our, our marriage has that I feel like a lot of straight people don't get to experience um, because it's easier to cover over things with sex. And that doesn't work for us. That doesn't work with me. Um, I actually have to know someone and care about them Yeah, <laughs> uh, with my wife uh, for us, for us, for sex to work and for it to, to be good and to be intimate. Um, and that's not, it's an inconvenient grace and gift. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. Uh, so, so sorry if that's too raw. That's, that's no, that's it's not too raw. No. <laughs> hey dude, that's what we're here to do, man. Okay. Like I'm, cool. I'm so thrilled to just that you're sharing your story. Um, so, you know, our tagline is honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian yeah. experience. And I am, um, uh, I'm pleased to just share your story that you're sharing your story because uh, it's not, it's not, uh, I don't, maybe it's not typical, but I bet it's not as rare as we'd like to believe. Right. So, right. Yeah. So uh, that's, yeah. that's what I, that's what I, I enjoy. Um, okay. So I didn't ask you often. I'll ask about a dark night of the soul. Cause we start, we, we mentioned that a little bit. You kind of rustled yeah. a lot in the beginning. I don't know if you've, since you've been a, a believer if you've had some seasons like that or not. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I actually, when, when I became a Christian, uh, man, things were on the up and up. Um, it wasn't that things were hard. I just, I think I'd gotten used to life being emotionally difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, since I was 12, life was emotionally difficult. Nine, you know, so, uh, so I wasn't, I would had become aware of that or used to that. Um, but life was really good uh, in marriage, um, in um, career. Everything was just kind of falling into place. I really didn't have to try too hard. Marriage seemed actually easy, surprisingly easy. Um, and then uh, my wife and I said we were ready to start a family. And I was dreamed of being a dad and um, couldn't wait. And it took us a while to get pregnant, uh, which was you know not uncommon. It's fine. Um, and then she miscarried. And then we tried for a lot longer. And then, um, we had our first, uh, which was great. Uh, but adding a kid into the mix is hard. Um, yeah. and then, uh, she miscarried again, um, after, after we had our first, and then we had the di- a diagnosis of our, of our, um, second born son, uh, Ezra, and he had a terminal diagnosis, uh, at the 18 week appointment. Um, and mm. we were offered the option to terminate, and we really, you know, we, we really believe in life and we, we really believe in giving a, a miracle working God. And so we were like, we're going to walk this out. And my wife carried full term. Um, and he, uh, and I was believing for a miracle the entire time we were, mm-hmm. you know, we had a whole community of people. And, and so the long story short is he, he passed away as he was being delivered. Um, he had a, 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 a his diagnosis was anencephaly, which is, doesn't cause the back half of his head to develop. And so he was completely safe in his mother's womb, but uh, to survive outside of the womb was uh, impossible unless God did a creative miracle where his head formed. And so, which I knew the possibility was slim, but I mean, it's God, you know? Yeah. And God does miracles. I mean, he allowed a gay man to be attracted to a woman. (laughs) So like, come on, you know, like, that's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not hard for you to form. You're knitting people together in your in, a, in his mother's womb. Keep it's knitting. Not, you hear stories like that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, man, I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of God. You know, like let's let's do this. You know, um, so believing very intensely in my um, and then my paradigm for God got shattered. Mm. Um, my uh, 
my my paradigm for suffering shattered because yeah. uh, I knew how to suffer. I didn't know how to suffer that much. Yeah, and I I couldn't understand how God could allow when it would be so easy for Him to 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 fix this. Why He wouldn't fix it? Yeah. And uh, and our hearts got baptized with suffering to where we just did not know what to. We didn't know how to function, and we we functioned well together. Um, but to say that we trusted God, oh my gosh, we how yeah. could I ever trust you again? Um, and so for me that that has been, and that was just two years. So we're coming up on two years of his um, of his death, October, his birth and death, October nineteenth, um, and. Wow. Um, and so that it's not that long ago. So the dark night of the soul is, is, was, uh, not that long ago. Um, and I had just told friends just a couple weeks ago, man, I feel like my heart's finally waking up, you know? And so, so to, you know, so to say that, um, the Christian life, it, 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 it shattered my idea that the Christian life is from glory to glory and on the up and up mm. and you just move from one staircase up, you just keep moving up the rungs to yeah. greater levels of connection with God. Uh, was not anticipating the death of a child and wow. that I couldn't contain. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That That's one of the hardest things possible. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah. I think you're right though. Uh, John of the cross tells us that it's those, it's probably more like Valley to Valley, right? It's, it's more yeah. like it's, yeah. it's, we're moving through, things that uh god is using to take to take uh things out of us very interesting um yeah so that's a different way of experiencing god how how have you how have you interacted with god through this period then um much more honestly and i i felt like i mm. was already operating with honesty yeah. before yeah um and i was um but uh, there's always more room for there's more new layers, huh? More <laughs> Very much so. Um, and I would say the biggest thing that I that I always that I kept from God. So I could I could invite God into my sexuality, um, into my sexual struggle, into my sexual fantasy without blinking an eye because He had proven Himself to be safe there. Uh, but with anger, I did not have a grid for allowing God to be present in anger. Um, wow. so lust was fine, but anger was not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and wow. so I did, you could tell me that, Oh God, God, God's big enough to handle your anger. And I would have believed you, but to know that, um, he wants my anger in a way that, and cause I always felt like me being angry with God was disrespectful of all of the things that yeah. he had given me thus far. And I didn't, I mean, and God had been really good to me up until that point. And now I had a reason to be angry. Um, and mainly it wasn't that I was, I was angry at God, but I was really more angry at be feeling powerless in a world that um, was full of surprises and I couldn't control them. And so the, the, the picture of God giving me the ability to be angry looks like a son on his dad's lap, beating his, beating his dad's chest. Yeah. Saying I'm so angry. And like, and if that is a, that is a safe place. That is us, and you know, and so God giving me the, the ability to and the space to say, I want that anger from you. I want to receive that anger from you. That's not disrespectful. That's connection. That's that you trust this relationship enough to be angry and for us to have conflict and for us to work through that and for me to be there with you in grief. Wow. Um, so 
so that has taken my my ability my ability to trust God um, to a whole new level because my I, I had to or my faith wasn't going to survive and it almost didn't. Yeah, well, I, I think that's fair. I think that's that's part of the yeah. that's part of experiencing Him and uh, and going through it. I wrote a little ebook called "What to Do When You're Mad at God." <laughs> because ba- based on it. yeah, based on Habakkuk, <laughs> you know what? It's it's really it's only six pages, so it's not uh, it's not the definitive volume. But um, I love the way Habakkuk just goes back and forth with God, and he says, "Look, I'm going to sit here and listen until I hear from you." <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's where we get the righteous will live by faith, because yeah. that's what I th- I think what it means to live by faith. So hmm. um, anyway, that's uh, that's a really yeah, like that. yeah that's dude. Um, I'm just astounded by the the ways that uh, that you have uh, been intimate with God and it, through all kinds of things. That that's I'm, I'm going to think about this for a long time. Uh, inviting God into anger, that's wow. That's that's yeah, just. I mean, a, and that's a lot of what I do in counseling is I you know helping people in their straight and gay people in their sexual struggles. Is what it look like for, you, for God to be present with you? I'm like, and they're usually looking at me like um, I don't think He wants to be. Right. I don't really want to be. But I have to be because I'm me, you know, right. and and so just to even offer the opportunity for God to be present with you in sexual struggle, um, the, for me that was a gift that I didn't didn't really doubt much. It was a kind of a gift that God had given me was to trust Him with my yeah. sexual struggle. Um, uh, but I find that that's not the case in a church hardly ever. It's a rare no. it's a rare person that can invite God into that. Yeah, that's one of my things that just. Man, I'd love to change it. That um, so often we we know how to be upset about sexual struggle, right? Mm-hmm. We don't oh, yeah. we don't necessarily know how to invite God into it, uh, which really should be should be the case. I have a friend, um, and if you don't know her, I should introduce you to her. But her name is Mary Demuth, who we just did an episode about uh, about uh, sexual abuse in the church. And she says, "Hey, the church should be the safest place." Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think that's true on a variety of fronts. So, um, okay. Ty, I would, I I think we could talk for a long time. I I love this topic. Um, there's a lot more we could do, but I want you to tell us about walls down. Cause you, is this your, like, tell us about this ministry. Um, maybe a little bit about how you started it and then what you guys do. Yeah. So, um, I was in prayer in 2012 and I felt like God, um, showed me, um, or just kind of opened my eyes. I was like, he just opened my eyes to see the cultural war and battle that had been going on. And, and, uh, I was working in the church at the time, um, uh, really not as concerned about the LGBT community as really as, um, as I certainly, as I am now not involved as I am now. Um, and I felt like it was during the whole Chick-fil-A debacle, um, that went on several years, oh, yeah. you know, many years ago. And, um, for me, that was the first time in culture that I saw what Christians are engaging LGBT people as if they're enemies and they draw swords and which causes LGBT people to draw them in kind. Um, and we end up just running each other through thinking that we're for just cause. And, um, you know, and I can't speak for the LGBT community, but I can speak for Christians and saying, um, the one that we follow told his disciple to put the sword away. And so I, I would say that I started Walls Down to help Christians put their sword away and start with kindness. And if you use any weapon, it has to be kindness uh, mm. because that's what God does with everyone. Um, 
but specifically with LGBT people. And, um, and so walls down really kind of exists to help the traditionally, um, the theologically conservative church to love LGBT people generously. So, so those that would believe marriages between one woman, um, and one man for one lifetime that God created uh, two genders, male and female, and that's his good blessing for people. How with those beliefs do we love LGBT people, build trust with them, honor them in ways that um, mirror God, the way that God honors people um, and, and respects them as well. And so, um, so walls down, uh, we do a lot of different things um, uh, in this ministry. Um, we don't just tell our stories. We also, we do trainings for churches um, from one hour to eight hours, uh, we have trainings uh, for youth leaders and youth uh, and um, senior level leaders and congregants and congregations. Um, we have support groups for parents who have their kids have just come out, Christian parents, and are wanting to reconnect with them or build build connection with them. Um, and then for gay, uh, non-straight people um, who are interested in Jesus or are Christians who have grown up in the church, we have groups for for them as well and. Um, so really we have just tried to take where, where the church has not entered into the conversation. We have tried to build a bridge to it, um, and equip Christian people to, to do really what many Christian people already wanting to do is to, yeah. to love their gay neighbor. Well, right. So, yeah, I, uh, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because you're not, uh, trying to change people. You're trying to love people. Right. Yeah. No, I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, in counseling, I mean, when people hear that I'm a counselor in the area of LGBTQ um, issues, uh, sexuality and faith, they think, oh, do you try to change people? And that is the opposite of what I do. I, I really, I, I create a space for people to sort through their values that they have, give opportunity um, for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in the heart of the person sitting across from me. And um, I've had people leave affirming. I've had people leave non-affirming. I've had people say, you know what? I don't even think being gay is my issue. I think it's this. <laughs> yeah. and so, 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 and, and I really just respect, I want to respect and honor where God has that person. And that can't happen if I have an agenda to change someone's sexuality or gender identity. Um, and th- that doesn't mean that I check my beliefs at the door. It just means that I don't force my beliefs on someone. Um, and so I try to give people space to do that without a culture war. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you let the Lord do the convicting and you, yeah. you do the caring and that's, I think our calling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. God, God's big enough to do his job, um, <laughs> right. as when and how he, he needs to. So. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I, I really wanted to, to talk to you about. Cause I think I would love to see that be more the case. So this is, a movement, one of the greatest gifts. I'm not going to not talk about politics. But I think one of the greatest gifts that has happened to the church is the Supreme Court decision to to kind of stop the whole gay marriage debate. Sure, yeah. because as as politically devastating as that was, it takes all that off the table, and so now we yeah. we have to have a different kind of approach. Yeah, no, I know there's a lot of conservative people, a lot of conservative Christian people that would hate me even agreeing with that, but. In this ministry with with LGBT people, the thing that got that gets in the way the most is that is the is whether you were for or against gay marriage, yeah. Um, and it's it relationally sabotaged every time that we we tried to connect and build trust with people uh, because it put people on one side of the aisle or the other, and no one no one felt loved by me affirming or not affirming, uh, being affirming or not affirming, and so, um, yeah, I'm like I'm me and my team, we're just glad that that's off the table. And now we can actually get to the business of loving people. 
um, yeah. regardless of where politics are. So no, I would absolutely echo that. I'm, I'm glad that it's kind of out of the way. Yeah. I'm convinced that that's the mission of the kingdom of God. That's our job. And so yeah. mm-hmm. let the politicians do their thing. Um, yeah. we, we just have to love others. So Ty, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, I am just deeply moved by it. We'll be pondering it for a long time. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, gosh, um, I mean, if, if you want to know more about Walls Down, you can visit wallsdown.org um, is our website. Um, and if I could leave everyone listening with one thing, it is that God is way more kind than you ever expected him to be. There's no way that you're imagining God is more kind than he actually is um, or more gracious than he actually is. He, he, he should be surprising you with grace and kindness. If he's not, um, lean in and let him, let him uh, speak to your heart because I know that he has kind things to say. Amen. Uh, that's perfectly stated. Uh, Wallsdown.org, guys, definitely check that out. I have links to uh, Ty's website. I have uh, anything that we talked about uh, is all there at the show notes page at halfwaytherepodcast.com. So uh, thanks a lot, Ty. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it.